I'm going to be thankful this morning that God is not hindered by buildings or locations. I know it, it's a little bit different being over here in the fellowship hall having service, but I'm thankful the same God that was with us over there is with us over here. Amen. He's not hindered by the building. He's not hindered by location. The Bible says he's omnipresent. He's everywhere at all times. And even right now, he's closer to us than our next breath. And uh, always remember that. So thankful this morning. God is able. Amen. How many of you have ever heard of the Inuit people? Have you ever heard of the Inuits? Some of us have. Um, the Inuit people actually live in the Arctic Circle. And um, in the Arctic Circle, climate is a bit different than what we have here. Uh, the, in the winter over there, their average temperature is negative 30 degrees. And I want you to think about that just a moment. Negative 30. And we think our 30 degrees is cold here. Uh, but over there, it's negative. Or up there, it's negative 30. It's amazing. If they go outside without any part of their body being covered, they instantly get frostbite. And that is, um, that, that's an amazing place to live. That's got to be a hard place to live. But that's where they live. That's where they uh, live for many, many years. And so um, they've learned to deal with it. Very strong people. I read a story about them a few years ago. Now, how many of you know the Inuit people that live in the Arctic Circle, they don't have cars like we have cars because they don't have roads like we have roads. They're, um, they're, like I already told you that their average temperature in the wintertime is negative 30. They also measure snowfall there, not in inches, but in feet. And they get several feet of snowfall every year. And so because of the snowfall that they receive and because of the lack of population, they really don't need roads like we've got. Roads like we've got would not be feasible. They don't even have cars to travel it. And, and so what they use instead of a car or a truck to get from point A to point B are dog sleds. And these dog sleds become absolutely vital to their survival. I mean, if they don't have that, if they can't get the supplies they need, um, then that would be, um, it'd be fatal for them, you know, no, no doubt about it. And so these dogs are their lifeline, really, to um, the supplies they need to, to whatever outside world they have. And so it's very important to them is, is the point I'm trying to make. Now, not only do they live there um, in the Arctic Circle, but, but they're, they're not by themselves. They have polar bears, and they have wolves, and they have all kinds of different wildlife that live there with them. And our, the story that I was reading was talking about how they were having trouble with wolves, packs of wolves that were coming into their area where they live and killing off their dogs that they used for their dog sleds. And, and so these people came up with a way of dealing with the wolves. And so what they would do when a uh, dog had been killed, they would take a big long hunting knife and they would dip the blade of that knife into the blood of the slain dog. All right. And then they would take that knife and roll it in the snow. And they'd dip it in the blood and roll it in the snow. And they'd dip it in the blood and they'd roll it in the snow. And they'd dip it in the blood and they'd roll it in the snow. Until finally, really, what you have was a great big bloody popsicle. Now, I know that don't sound real good to you, but that sounds great to a wolf. And they took, then took that big bloody popsicle and they, that knife that they had this big chunk of uh, bloody uh, ice on the top of it. And they would drive the handle of it down into a snowbank. And the wolf who already had a taste for the blood of the dog, would smell the knife and the bloody popsicle. And he would come and he'd start licking it, and all of us know what happens when you eat a lot of popsicles. I certainly know. I eat, like I've told you before, I love some popsicles. I eat them all the time. And I've come to find out, and I'm also the guy that, that eats ice. Does anybody else love ice? I love it. My favorite part of a drink with ice in it is not the drink. It's when I get finished. Then I get to eat the ice. Matter of fact, I will go to certain places that has that good ice. Y'all know what I'm talking about? That crunchy ice. I mean, I'll find places like that just so I can get that cup of ice. But when you eat like ice long enough, what'll happen, your mouth becomes numb. And I've actually ate so much ice, those big cupfuls, that my mouth would get numb and I wouldn't even know that I was tearing the inside of my mouth up with ice cubes. And after I'd get done eating, my mouth would uh, then become uh, unnumb, I guess you'd say. It'd get feeling bad. Then, then I'd start to feel all the little cuts and tears that I'd made from eating ice. Well, that's kind of like what happened to the, to the wolf. They would come, they'd find this buddy pops up with something that they desired, something that they wanted, something they had a taste for, and they'd start licking this popsicle. And the more they licked it, licked it the more uh, numb their mouth became. And so they're gnawing on this popsicle 
Their mouth gets numb. And before long, they don't know whether or not it's the dog's blood they're tasting or it's his own blood he's tasting. And it kills the wolf right then and there. He's, he's dead because of his own doing. That was an amazing story when I read that, man. And, um, you said, Russell, what does that have to do with us? What does that mean for us here today at Mount Zion Baptist Church? Well, it means a great deal in my opinion. Let me tell you why. Because I fear there's a lot of times in our lives where we become numb to things that can cause us great harm. And I know that happens on an individual basis in my life. You become comfortable with things that you know are not pleasing unto the Lord. And because it pleases the flesh that we're all born in, listen, many times, just like the wolf, you, you get a hold of something you like and you become numb to what it's actually doing to you simply because it pleases the flesh. And what I mean by the flesh is that sinful nature that we all have, that sinful nature that came from Adam himself. Jesus spoke about it in John chapter 3. You'll remember the story of Jesus and Nicodemus. Jesus and Nicodemus are speaking and Jesus pretty much tells Nicodemus, if you're going to be a part of the kingdom of God, you must be born again. If you believe it today, say amen. That's what makes you a part of the beginning of, of, of the kingdom of God. It's being born again by the Spirit of God. It's not joining a church. It's not being in a water baptistry. It, listen to me, folks. It's not trying to be the best you can be. It's not a, a lot of the things that we sometimes say makes us God. No, no, no. Listen, to really be a part of the kingdom of God, to experience what God has for you, to have uh, eternal life, which is abundant life, ye must be born again. Jesus said, Nicodemus, John 3 and 6, the flesh is born of the flesh and the spirit is born of spirit. Do you see that? Well, look, can you put that up there for me? That which is born of the flesh is flesh and that which is born of the spirit is spirit. You cannot receive what God has for you unless you are born again by the spirit of God. That's what he's saying. Now listen to me. When we choose to do that which pleases our old fleshly nature, we become uh, very much in danger, just like the wolf, of becoming numb to those things that will certainly harm us. Now what I mean by this is when you have certain attitudes, opinions, beliefs that you know are not pleasing unto the Lord, I can promise you that will cause you to become numb to things that will harm you. Now, how do I know that? Because the scripture says in the book of Proverbs, as a man thinks in his heart, as a man thinks, so is he. I read something just the other day that really blessed my soul. It says thoughts become actions, actions become habits, habits become a lifestyle. And if we want our lifestyle to be pleasing unto God, if we want to have the abundant life that Jesus promises for each and every one of us, let me tell you how we get it. we got to first of all get our thinking right. Because that controls everything else. So don't allow yourself to become numb the things that you think about, opinions you have, attitudes you possess that are keeping you from being all that God wants you to be. Can you say amen? Some of us have anger problems. And I say us for a reason. That's something the Lord has truly had to work with me on. And it's a lot better than it used to be. But I'm still a work in progress. I don't want to allow... That old, that old idea, that old mindset to control me so that I miss out on God's best for my life. I don't want that. I pray against that. I, I do what I can to change that attitude. To refresh and renew my mind by the word of God. Can you say amen? So that I don't have the attitude that would cause me harm. So that I don't have the belief that would cause me harm. It matters how... We think. And, and listen to me now. We've got to be very careful with these. 
And the reason I say it is because a lot of times I hear some very, very bad advice that on the surface sounds really good and gives everybody the warm and fuzzies. I hear people say stuff like this. Well, you just got to follow your heart. Do you know that some of the absolute worst advice anybody could ever give you? That's terrible advice. You say, Russell, how in the world, why would you say that's terrible to follow your own heart? Well, let's, let's describe what we're really talking about. When somebody says follow your heart, they're not really talking about that fleshy pump on the inside of your chest that's uh, pumping blood throughout the extremities of your body. That's not the heart that's being meant there. All right? Well, what the heart that's really being meant is what the Bible describes as your psyche. And your psyche is your mind, your will, and your emotion. And really what people are saying is, you just follow how you think. You, you do what you feel, your emotion, and do what's right for you. Which, very dangerously, makes you the center of your universe. Are you getting it? It's a dangerous thing. Let me show you in the Word of God how dangerous that can be. Jeremiah 17, 9. Watch this right here. Jeremiah 17, 9 says, the heart, Brother, thank you. Good job. I was already up there. I appreciate these brothers that do all this. I'm telling you, man. They come and, and set all this up, get all this ready, and I, I thank you for what you do. Jeremiah 17, 9. The heart is deceitful above all things. Watch this now. And desperately wicked. Who can know it? Let me paraphrase what Jeremiah is saying. Jeremiah is saying, your old sinful nature that directs your mind, will, and emotion many times is so deceitful and so wicked, you don't even know how bad you could be apart from the grace of God. Do not simply follow your heart. That's terrible advice. Let me give you another good verse comes from the book of Proverbs. Proverbs 14, 12. Listen to what this says. I love this. Proverbs 14, verse number 12. There's a way which seems right unto a man. Would y'all agree with that? There's a way that seems pleasing to your mind, will, and emotions sometimes. But watch. But the end thereof are the ways of death. I'm telling you, it's bad advice to follow your own heart, to do what's best just for you. That's bad advice. Let me give you some more that I hear from time to time. You must know your truth. Anybody ever hear that? You got to know your truth or I'm following my truth. How many of you know there is no your truth and there is no my truth? There's only the truth. There's the truth, and then there's how we react to that. How we apply that. It's not my truth, and it's not your truth. See, really what's being said or what's being implied when somebody says that is that truth is subjective. It's that truth is relative. That I can believe what I want to believe, and, and listen, my truth is my truth. Your truth is your truth. That means if, if it's my truth, I can do what I want to do. And if it's your truth, you can do what you want to do. And because there's no standard of what truth is, then listen, nobody's wrong. If nobody's wrong, then nobody's really right. Think about how dangerous that is. Because that is the basis and foundation, I'm telling you, of what's going on right now in the world you live in. People refuse in their pride to recognize the absolute truth of God Almighty. God has a standard of truth. Well, brothers, I just don't believe it. Well, that's your choice. You don't have to believe it. But listen to me very plainly. You will suffer the consequences of rejecting it. In this life and in eternity. So we've got to come to the realization there is no my truth. There is no your truth. It's only the truth. Amen. 
It's the truth of God that we are called to live our lives according to that. It's, it's the truth of God, that objective truth. It's the basis on which God has called us to live, has called us to operate day by day. Not what we think, what He says. Not what we feel, but what He says. Somebody say amen. amen. we got to know this. we got to get a hold of this. we got to apply this to our everyday lives. Let's, let's finish this on out. Where does this lead to, this, this way of thinking? It's important that we see it. If there is no standard of truth, truth is subjective, in other words, or truth is relative. My truth is my truth and your truth is your truth, then that means there is no wrong. I can do what I want, you can do what you want, as long as it makes me feel good, as long as it makes you feel good. Well, if there is no right, there is no wrong, that means there is no sin. If there is no sin, then we don't stand in need of a Savior. If we don't stand in need of a Savior, we don't realize that, guess what? We have no hope but a devil's hell. Do you see how the enemy operates? Jesus said the thief comes not but for to steal, kill, and to destroy. He is in the business of destroying lives, destroying families, destroying churches, destroying cities, destroying nations. And he's doing a pretty good job of it. But it all comes back to his attack on the absolute standard, the absolute truth of God's word. Are you getting me? And this is not something that is new. It's exactly what he did in the Garden of Eden. Do you remember that? God had told Adam and Eve, he said, look, all of this that I've put out here for you, you can have it, enjoy it, it's yours. I'm giving you dominion over it or authority over it. Go out there and be a good steward of it. And he says, all of that that's out there you can have except one tree. You cannot eat of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Because when you do, you're going to die. And what did the serpent do when he came to eat? The first thing he did is throw doubt on God's word. Because she told him. God said we can't have of that. Because what we're going to do, we're going to die. He said, has God said that? Is that really what God said? Is that really what God means? And then he gets her to believe, just like sometimes he gets us to believe, that God is trying to keep something from us. God just don't want you to have the knowledge he has. God just don't want you to know what he knows. So he don't want you to, want you to eat of that tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And the, the, the Satan still does the same thing. God just don't want you to have a good time. God don't want you to enjoy your life. God won't, don't want you to be you and follow your truth. He lies to us now. Just like he lied then. So we cannot, we must not simply follow our own mind, will, and emotion. Let me give you a great quote by Douglas MacArthur. I love it. Let me tell you what he said, the great general. He said, feelings make great foot soldiers, but terrible generals. Think about that just a minute. What you do, how you live, and the battles you face, you cannot allow your feelings to control you. You must have a general called fact that lays the foundation for how you live and what you do. And then guess what? Your feelings will follow. They're great foot soldiers. But you cannot let them lead. When we become numb to thoughts, opinions, beliefs that we know are contrary to the Word of God, it will cause damage individually in our lives. And because this is true, it's also true that the wrong thoughts, attitudes, opinions, habits, addictions, Actions, behaviors, all of those that are wrong that we become numb to. Listen, it's also true that collectively it will harm us. If it's true for an individual, it's true for the collective. 
And the reason I say that, because all the world a church is, all the world a city is, all the world a nation is, all in the world the world of humanity is, is a group of individuals. So if wrong thoughts, opinions, and actions can cause me to become numb and harm me to really what God wants for my life and, and steal what He has for me, if it's true on an individual basis, it's true collectively for us all. And that's really where I want to go with this this morning. It's, it's true that collectively we need not become numb to things we know God's against. Look with me, if you will, in Psalm 78 is what I want to go to in just a minute. Keep your place there, and I'll give you a few more verses. The, the psalmist here gives us some things that we need to really take note of. Because, listen to me, folks. What was happening in the nation of Israel in that day, because they had become numb to things they knew God hated, that they were suffering the consequences for that. And so the writer of Psalm 78, a guy by the name of Asaph, he comes along and he says, look, we've got to remember some things. We've got to remember who God is, what God has said, and what God has done. And we'll get to that in just a minute. But there's four things I want to, I want to tell you this morning. We must do collectively as a nation, listen to me now, so that we might not become numb and allow things to harm us that we know is going to harm us and is harming us even right now. Now, the first thing we need to do is look around. Can you say amen to that? Everybody say look around. Look around. We've got to look around. We cannot keep our head in the sand. Now, look, don't misunderstand me. I'm a patriot. I love this country. I'm thankful for the United States of America. I'm thankful to have been born here. I love what Tony Evans said. Tony Evans said that we won the lottery just by being born in this country. And he's exactly right. We are afforded freedoms and opportunities and privileges that the rest of the world do not have. And I, so I, I love my country and I'm thankful for it. I'm thankful for what it's founded upon. I'm thankful that we have a constitutional republic where rights are guaranteed to us. How do you know this is not a democracy? Listen, the democratic process is how we elect our officials, but this is not a democracy. It's a constitutional republic where every citizen is guaranteed rights. Get me? That's good. That's real good. That's something to fight for. That's something to pray for. Many men have, and women, have died for that truth. So it's something we need to take seriously. And for far too long we haven't. So we gotta, we gotta look around because what I see in the world today looks absolutely recognizable. I was just thinking about this the other day. Brother Scott, he sent me a, a, a picture of me and him and some of our, our friends at graduation. We graduated together, graduated high school together. And he sent me a picture of that. And I thought, man, I look a lot different than I looked 25 years ago. A lot different. And then I sort of look around at the world and I think, the world looks a lot different than what it looked 25 years ago. And that's not that long ago. And I know some of you think it, that is a long time ago. Some of these up here. <laughs> Just a matter of fact, we were at the beach, me and my wife, last weekend. And we got home and my kids said, Dad, did you take Mom over to, uh, what is that place called? Sunlight or Diner. And I said, why, why do you ask, son? He said, I just wanted to know if y'all were going to relive your childhood. <laughs> now, for those of you that don't know, the Sunlight or Diner is based on 1950s. <laughs> I'm not that old. Some of you ain't remember that time. That's good. I'm not saying that's bad. I'm just saying they think dad is ancient. But 25 years out of high school, that's really not that long ago. It's really not. And I look back at the world we had then and what we have now, and it's absolutely unrecognized. I can't believe we've come to where we've come to. I'll go as far as to say this. I don't even recognize the world of five years ago. Things are happening in rapid, at a rapid pace like never before. There's a lady who came to me just the other day. She said, Pastor, I want to ask you something. Do you think we're in the last days? I said, absolutely. 
Absolutely, we're in the last days. Say, how, how can you be so sure? Let me tell you how, why I believe that. I'll give you some scripture for it. Just because, so you'll know that I, I'm not just sharing with you my opinion, but I'm sharing with you again the absolute standard of God's truth. Matthew 24 and verse number 8. Jesus is talking about the end times to his disciples. And he said in Matthew 24 and 8, all these are the beginning of sorrows. And go to the next verse there, brother. Look what else it says. Then they shall deliver you up to be afflicted, and he shall kill you, and he shall be hated of all nations for my name's sake. Go back to verse number 7. Let's, let's back up just a little bit. For nations shall rise against nation, and kingdom against kingdom, and there shall be famines and pestilence and earthquakes in diverse places. Go on down now. All these are the beginning of sorrows. Now, let me tell you what that is saying. The beginning of sorrows, and what he's talking about, are, are the birth pains of the world. That's actually the Greek word that is used. And so really what Jesus was saying there is that the earth is going to begin to travail in sorrow just like a woman travails in sorrow at the moment when she's about to give birth. Now any of you who have seen someone give birth or have kids of your own, you know that in those last moments before the baby is born, the birth, birth pains become real. Can you say it again? The first time that... Uh, my wife gave birth to my daughter, Anna Kate. I remember she was getting ready to have her and she said, I think it's time we need to get to the hospital. We were actually scheduled that day just for an appointment. So we were on our way down to, uh, to Winfield, to Winfield Hospital where she was having the baby at. We get in Fulton and she cries out right in the middle of those steep curves in, in Fulton, in front of the high, or in, not in Fulton, but you in front of the high school. And she cries out, man, the blood-piercing blood curdling scream and I said woman what in the world's wrong we said you better get there now and we went we took the fastest trip I've ever taken from Ewan to Winfield to get her to the hospital but those birth pains had become more intense there's a lot more fervency in what was happening in those last moments because about two hours later she gave birth to my daughter there, there was there was some urgency because of the fervency of the birth pains. Can you say amen? Not only does a woman have very fervent pains at the, at the time of birth, but they're also very frequent pains at the time of birth. They'll, be getting, they'll get closer. Matter of fact, when we got there, the doctor said, how, how far apart are the contractions? That's what he said when he walked in the room. I'll never forget it. And the nurse had been timing and, and told him something and he's he pretty much let us know that it wasn't time yet, but it was getting close. But the, the, the way they gauged that was the frequency in which the birth pains came. Now listen. You say, brother, we've always had birth pains as far as the earth is concerned. I mean, we've always had natural disasters and earthquakes and all the this pestilence and all the stuff like Jesus spoke about. Yeah, but now listen. In the last few years, there have been much greater fervency in those we're not just having small earthquakes, but they're sometimes resting eight and nine on the Richter scale, which is about as high as it can possibly be. And, and we've had more earthquakes in the last five years than ever in recorded history. Do you know that? There's fervency and frequency. Not only with the birth pains of the world, but it's something else Jesus said. Look what he said in Matthew 24. Matthew 24 and verse number 37. Watch what Jesus says there. Matthew 24, 37, but as the, as the days of Noah were, so shall also the coming of the Son of Man be. So what's he saying? If you want to know when it's time for me to return, first of all, you need to look at the birth pains. Then you've got to remember it's going to be just like it was when Noah was upon the earth and the flood came. So what was it like when Noah was upon the earth? Well, listen, the Bible tells us. Genesis chapter 6 and verse number 5. Look what it says concerning what the world was like before the flood came. Watch what it says. And God saw that the wickedness, everybody say wickedness. wickedness. That the wickedness of man was great upon the earth. Now what is the standard for wickedness? If God's word is absolute truth. If God's word is righteous, holy, if God's word is our absolute standard, anything that is contrary to what God says 
becomes wickedness. Or sometimes we call it sin. You hear me? And the Bible says, and God saw that the wickedness of man was great in the earth. Do you, can you look around? I, I'll ask you to do that. Can you look around today and see that we live in a dark world? Does it not seem to be getting darker? And that every imagination of the thoughts of his heart was on evil continually. That's what it was like in the days of Noah. Could we say that we see the same thing today? It's dark and I don't see how it can get much darker as far as wickedness goes. In every arena that you want to talk about. Let's talk about, let's talk about the political arena. And I'm not gonna, I'm not in any way trying to politicize this message and, and, and Democrat or Republican. I've come to the realization that you could put all of them in the same paper sack, and it don't matter which one fell out first, really. I've lost a great deal of faith. In politics. Now, I'm not saying they shouldn't be involved in the political process, but I am saying that, listen, the political process is not the answer for this country or for any country. But let me tell you, listen to me now. When we look at the political hierarchy of our nation, our political leaders, and I'm talking about across the aisle, Democrat, Republican, I don't care who you're talking about, I see wickedness. Wickedness that has been proven over and over again. It makes me sick to my stomach when these people across the aisle, Democrats and Republicans, listen, have been accused and it's been proven that they've committed treasonous acts against the United States of America and nothing's ever said or done about it. That makes me sick. Let me tell you why. Because there's different rules for different people. If I had committed those acts, or you had committed those acts, and there was evidence to back it up, we'd all be under the jail. And they'd throw away the key. Or worse. Like I said, some of this stuff are treasonous acts that, that is punishable by death even. However, when there are no consequence for wrong action, then wrong action will continue. And that's what we see. There's no fear of the law. Because there's no consequence. Just like parenting children. I remember in the same time when me and Brandy had went to the doctor for Anakate. We were down there in the hospital and I was standing out there in the waiting room. And there was this, I look like maybe, uh, maybe it was this, her father or her grandfather was holding a little girl. She was probably, I don't know, three, four years old and just screaming her head off. And he had walked her down the hall and Bring her back, and, and, and she'd quit crying for a little bit. And, 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 uh, and he would say, all right, honey, you got to be quiet. you got to be quiet. Well, I'll go to the end of the hall, Papa or Daddy. I can't remember which one it was. And, and he'd take her to the end of the hall, and he'd come back. And, and, and he'd say, now you got to be quiet. And she'd get up unruly again. I'd take her back down the hall. And, and he was standing there holding this little girl. And, and she just busted out crying, screaming at the top of her lungs. And he said, honey, you got to be quiet. She said, take me to the end of the hall and see me hush crying. running that relationship. I'm going to tell you something. Listen to me. You can fix that very easily. And, and all you got to do is when they completely and totally disobey you, spank that little behind. Oh, brother, that's old-fashioned. Well, it works. And it's scriptural. I don't believe in spanking. You ain't got to tell me that. I see you kids. <coughs> say that. Nobody has to say I don't believe in spanking. I can say that. I am not talking about being cruel. I am not talking about abuse. I'm talking about loving your children enough to correct them. And to share with them look, there's consequences to wrong actions. But when there are no consequences to wrong actions, guess what happens? That nigga's going to walk his legs off in that hospital hall. Because it don't fix anything. In our political arena, I see wickedness 
that is not punished. And it makes me sick. Now, one day I see wickedness that is not punished. Listen, I see wickedness that is celebrated. If you don't believe me, Google this when you get home. Be careful, though, because when you, when you Google it, you are going to see the ugliest woman you've ever seen in your life. Just being honest. I'm not even... Right now, in the United States of America, the Secretary of Health for the United States of America is a 50-something-year-old man dressed up like a woman. It is obvious there is some mental trouble in this. And this guy, He's the Secretary of Health. He goes by Rachel Levine. He was actually born Richard Levine. I'm not trying to be insensitive. But we've got to call sin what it is. We've got to call wickedness what it is. Right. Folks, if we don't, then there's no hope going forward. Amen? My goodness, what are we doing? The whole transgender movement is an attack on the absolute truth of God. It's an attack on God's most prized creation, the one he loves the most, mankind. The Bible says that God made man in his own image and he created male and female, created he, them. Guess what? The Bible has already answered how many genders there are. This stuff is nonsense. Again, it's not based upon any fact. It's wrong biblically. I've already stated that. How many know it's wrong uh, genetically speaking? If we want to follow the science, let's follow it. And the truth is, you either got an XX chromosome or an XY chromosome. Can you say amen? That's it. That's all you ever going to have. And you can do whatever you You can dress it up. You can cut it off. You can add to it. Whatever you're going to do, listen to me plainly, you're still going to have an XX or XY. Genetically speaking. We've got to call it what it is. It's wickedness. It shouldn't be celebrated. It should be treated. It should be treated in the same organization that this dude is supposed to be the head of. Do you see how ironic that is? It's amazing to me. Not only is it true in the political arena, but it's also true socially. Great pastor who just passed away the other day, Charles Stanley, said something that, um, that I agree with. He said the sexual revolution in this nation has been the most damning, The most damning and the, 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 the most wicked that we've ever experienced. That what's happening right now. He's right. We cannot turn a blind eye to that and say, well, we're just going to let them do it. Follow your heart. Folks, these people need help psychologically, with a, with a psychiatrist. They need help. Mentally, they need help, certainly spiritually. And I'm saying help them. But we're not helping anybody by condoning wicked action. We're not. No one is it true politically and socially. Listen, it's true religiously. Look around. In the last year, year and a half, we've had pastors. I'm not even going to call them pastors because they can't be pastors. They cannot be pastors when they stand in the pulpit and condone wickedness. That's a false prophet. Now, how do I know that it's wicked? Well, because God says all, He talks a lot about it. Let's, let's just read together just a few things and I'm, I'm going I'm to move on. But if you look with me, please, in the book of uh, Genesis, chapter number 19. Brother, if you will, please put that on the screen for me. Genesis Chapter number 19. And look there. Starting in the very first verse. Watch what this says. 
And there came two angels to Sodom at even. And Lot in the gate of Sodom, and Lot seeing them, rose up to meet them. And he bowed himself with his face toward the ground. Verse 2. And he said, Behold now, my lords, turn in, I pray you, into the servant's house, and tarry all night, and wash your feet, and you shall rise up early and go on your ways. And they said, Nay, but we will abide in the street all night. Verse 3. Watch. And he pressed upon them greatly. Guys, come on inside. Now let me tell you why Lot is doing this. Because Lot, who is absolutely, totally in a backslidden condition in Sodom and Gomorrah, knows what's fixing to happen to these angels of the Lord who look like men. Watch what happens here. And they turned into him and entered into his house, and he made them a feast, and did bake and leavened bread, and they did eat. Verse 4. And before they lay down, the men of the city, even the men of Sodom, compassed the house round, both old and young, and all the people with every quarter. Go now. And they called unto Lot and said unto him, were the men which came into thee this night? Bring them out unto us that we may know them. I'm not trying. I'm going to be as tactful as I can possibly do. Uh, do this, but I want you to know. You go back and read what that actually says in the Hebrew. Pretty strong language. Let's go on. Verse number six. And Lot went out the door unto them and shut the door after him. Verse seven. And I said, Pray you, brethren, do not so wickedly. And behold, now I have two daughters which have not known a man. Let me, I pray you, bring them out unto you, and do not uh, do to them as you see fit in your own lives. Only unto these men do nothing. For therefore came they under the shadow of my roof. Verse 9, watch what it says. And they said, Stand back. And they said, Again, this one fellow came in to sojourn, and he will needs be a judge. Now will we, we will deal worse with thee than with them. And they pressed sore upon the man, even Lot, and came near to break down the door. Verse 20. But the men put forth their hand and poured in Lot into the house to them and shut to the door. Verse 11. Watch what it says. Look at this. And they smote the men that were at the door of the house with blindness, both small and great, and so that they reared themselves to find the door. So let me tell you something. The Bible then goes on to say in the book of Genesis 19 that God rained down fire and brimstone upon Zion. Now I've heard all kinds of explanations about why God destroyed Sodom and Gomorrah. I'm going to tell you why God destroyed Sodom and Gomorrah. Because of the sin of homosexuality. That's what God says. Folks, these things may be popular and there may be some legitimate struggles. I am not looking past that. I am not trying to be harsh in any way. But I have to speak the truth in love and let you know we've got to call sin what it is if sin is ever going to be dealt with. Amen. You say, brother, all that's Old Testament. What does Jesus say about it? Did Jesus speak about it? Absolutely did. Mark chapter 10. Brother, put that up there for me. Mark chapter 10 and verse number 1. Watch what this says. And he arose from thence and cometh in the coast of Judea by the farther side of Jordan. And the people resort unto him again as he was wont. He taught them again. Verse 2. And the Pharisees came to him and asked him, Is it lawful for a man to put away his wife? Took to him. Verse 3. And he answered and said unto them, What did Moses command you? So Jesus is about to give you the standard for human sexual relationships. Intimate relationships between human beings. And he gives the standard that's given all the way back in the book of Genesis. So here you have the living word, quote, the written word. Look what he tells us, verse uh, number 4. And they said, Moses suffered to write a bill of divorcement to put her away, verse 5. And Jesus answered and said to them, for the hardness of your heart he wrote you this precept. And the seventh verse. For this cause shall a man leave his father and mother and cleave to his wife. So what's, what's the standard Jesus gave A husband? One husband, one wife. Just like it said in Genesis. Nothing's changed. Still hasn't changed. Come on, verse 8. And the twain shall be done one flesh, so that they are no more twain but one flesh. Verse number 9. What therefore God hath joined together, let no man put asunder. So according to the Old Testament, what's the Bible say? The standard of intimate relationships is one man, one woman. Amen. In a marital relationship. The marital bed is undefiled. Can you say Amen. Then he goes on and says, Jesus in the New Testament, male and female, man and wife, what God has put together, not letting anybody else put asunder. I could give you another verse that if we had time in Romans chapter 1 that explains this even, even greater detail. And I encourage you, go back and read Romans chapter 1. 
What I'm trying to say to you is, all of these people who are standing in pulpits calling themselves pastor, but condoning the wickedness that we see among us today, not only condoning it, but celebrating it. Folks, that is a lie. Not because I said it, because God's Word says it. Amen? Yeah. Look around. Look around. This sort of burden your heart. The world that we have now, and the world, if, if something don't change, what is our kids and grandkids going to see? Look around. Then I want to challenge you. Not only do I want you to look around, look in. The psalmist said in Psalm 139 that David said like this. He said, search me and try me, O Lord. And if there be any wicked way in me, show it to me really so I can get it right. That's what he's saying. And that's what God wants. He wants us to search and try our own heart. He wants to not only to look around everybody else, because that's easy, isn't it? It's easy for us to look around and pick and find fault in other people. But what I've come to find out, most of us hate sin that's not ours. It's easy to look at the wickedness we see around us and say, man, that's ungodly and that's wrong and that's sinful. What about me? And what about you? We've got to look in. 1 Corinthians chapter number 6. Verse number nine. Three very important, powerful verses. Now you know that the unrighteous shall not inherit the kingdom of God. Be not deceived neither fornicators, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor effeminate. The effeminate, are the, that is like we talked about before, those who live a homosexual lifestyle, nor abusers of themselves with, with mankind, nor thieves, nor covetous, nor drunkards, nor revilers, nor extortioners, shall inherit the kingdom of God. Verse 11. And such were some of you. Praise God for verse 11. Such were some of you folks. We can't sit up on our spiritual high horse and look down on others no matter what sin they're involved in. We've got to remember we too were lost and undone. And the same grace that has saved us and changed us and the same blood that has washed us clean is the same grace same love, same mercy, same blood that can wash them clean. I'm in no way today trying to sit on a spiritual high horse. I'm just trying to call it what it is and give the remedy. The answer for our nation that we look around and see is not a political agenda, party, or platform. The answer for the problem we see is the gospel. That's right. And the gospel tells us the truth of who we are, the truth of who God is, and how we can be made right in His eyes. How we can be born again and changed by the power of God. Are you hearing me? Folks, this is going to change. That's how it changes. And that starts with me and you. I'm asking you to look around. I'm asking you to look in. Then I'm asking you to look up. From whence comes my help? From whence comes our help? Our help comes from the Lord. Look around. Look in. Look up. We need to look back. In Psalm 78, I never even get there. Psalm 78, verses 5 and 6. It says something that I want you to see there. The writer encourages the people of Israel to look back at what God had did. We live in one of the youngest nations on the face of the earth, but the most blessed nation on the face of the earth. 
As I've already told you, I'm thankful to be an American. I'm proud to be an American. And we are blessed like we have been blessed in such a short amount of time, I believe, simply because if we look back to our founding, this nation was founded upon the principles of the precious, powerful Word of God. Did we have it all right at our founding? Nope. You may tell you why we had it all. We didn't have it all right because we have a bunch of fallen men in fallen creation. It wasn't all right, but there's a lot right. And God, by His grace, bless this nation because of the principles it was founded upon. Founded by, listen, by godly men. If you don't believe me, go back and read the writings. Go back and read what James Madison, the father of our Constitution, said. Go back and read what these great men of God said about what this nation is actually supposed to be and how it's going to get there. How it can only be what they set it up to be is if we love God and love people. Tell you, it's there. We need to look back. In the last few weeks, months, years, I've been very discouraged and pessimistic on whether or not we can ever be again what God wants us to be. I don't know that we'll ever get back to where the founding fathers had us. But I'll tell you what we can do. We can make a decision each and every day in our own lives around the people that we love most to raise up a standard of the precious word of God. Love God and love people because let me tell you something, that's where the real difference is made. That's right. We can talk all day about what happens in the White House, but I'm going to tell you what happens in the White House ain't going to do a whole lot for the, for the changing of this nation. It really won't. Let me tell you how we need to change this nation at our house. That's right. At my house, at your house, at the church house. We need to start again preaching truth. Sharing and showing the love of Christ. You can't say you love somebody if you don't tell them the truth. Yeah, that's right. It's not always easy. Not always popular. But it's always necessary. Jesus said if you know the truth, the truth will do what? Everybody stand together. <coughs> short we fall when we hold our lives up next to the standard of your precious word. Lord, today we realize that we all to some degree need forgiveness, need help, need healing. Because Lord, the truth is we're all broken vessels being repaired by the master potter. We are the potter. You are the potter, Lord. We are the clay, and we're asking that you continually form us, shape us, mold us into what you want us to be. Forgive me, Lord, where I failed you. Forgive me, Father, for anything that's unpleasing to you in my life. God, I ask you right now in Jesus' name that you would do your work in this place, whatever that may be. Or if there's one here that needs to be saved, would you save them? If there's one here, Father, that have become numb to things that you know, that they know, are causing them harm. Lord, we pray today they get it right. Lord, we're asking for your mercy, for your grace, for your mighty power in Jesus' name.